How's that? Is that working fine? All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. It's an honor to be here with you today. And uh, today we're going to be talking about fear knots. Um, and my wife looked at the outline last night as I was packing. She goes, you have a misspelling. I said, no, that's, that's actually a play on words. And she goes, oh, I get it, the knot, fear knot. And actually, more than 60 times in the scriptures, there is this imperative command, fear not. And so uh, I remember before I was a believer, uh, my brothers and sisters are older than I am. For instance, my sister's 18 years older than I am. Uh, so I have a sister that's in her 80s. Um, and it's hard to believe, but I came so much afterwards that I was raised on, almost as an only child. But my older siblings were old enough to get in trouble. And uh, when my dad would be frustrated, uh, my mom would cocoon. And I remember as a kid saying, what's wrong with mom? And my dad would say, her feelings are tied up in knots, right? I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I, you know, they didn't use the word emotions or nervous um, so much, but uh, he would say, uh, her feelings are all tied up in knots. And I kind of wanted to see what that meant, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, so any of you uh, former scouts that uh, know your knots? <laughs> Former scout, but what kind of knot is that? Simple square knot? Is that, is that fair? Um, but in scripture, uh, it talks about uh, fear not. And you might remember really prominent verses like Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will do what? I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And there's so much to unpack in that verse, no time would allow us to do that. But I want you to just recall some of those times when God would say to his people, to his leaders, stop fearing. Now, I say that in kind of a meek and mild way, kind of like a parent would say when they take the little child to the doctor, don't be afraid, it, it will be okay. And we get the idea that sometimes God is like, it's okay, don't, don't worry, everything's going to be just fine. While that's true, that's not that's not where the emphasis is in most of the Hebrew, meaning the Old Testament uh, passages. It goes more like this. Instead of, um, it's okay, don't fear, it's like, more like this. Stop it. Stop it and stop it now. You know, when you're young parents, I have four children myself. When we were young, uh, we wanted to always teach our kids some key words. So that without question, they would obey it, right? And stop was one of those words. 
uh, and we didn't use it when they're just making noise or doing other things. Our intention was, if we say stop, stop, and don't ask questions, just stop, because it's for your safety. So we tried to make that a, a really important word. But the ball would be rolling out into the road from the driveway, and I couldn't say stop. It took too much mental energy. So stop became this. Ah! 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 And over time, and now they mock me now that they're grown. Ah! Ah! But I think you get the idea that God is saying, I want you to stop this fearing. If you're all tied up in knots with anxiety and fear and Boy, we sure have a lot in society, so much information, right? Uh, I wake up in the morning scanning my news. I go to bed scanning my news. I listen to the news. And my wife will say to me from time to time, you know, that can be bad for your health. It can just create an ongoing, slow, smoldering uh, kind of anxiety or restlessness. And you know, I thought to myself, of all the years I've been a pastor, 30-plus years, I do know that this is a bedrock principle that we want to unpack today from 1 John 4 and Psalm 37. It's one of those things that really is foundational to living out the Christmas or the, um, the, the Christ-like story of our lives. If Christ is in us, how should we then live, right? So if you've got some fear knots today, and right now in the history of your church, there's a big vote today, all that's led up to that, and all the decisions, that could create anxiety for a number of reasons. Fears of the unknown. What next? Uh, You listen to the news about investigations and plane crashes and ships being tossed to and fro, people that are shot, people that are lost, people that are abducted. There is a book I saw at Barnes and Nobles. I wish I would have brought it. Uh, and it's called How Neurotics Save the World. And I, it didn't take a lot of time, but just reading the intro, uh, it was basically this. There's enough people worrying about the water, the air, the chemicals, everything else. You can relax. Some people are just neurotic, and they will be the watchdogs of culture. And so then I worry if they're doing their job, right? Uh, But I think the point is true. We have to at some point say, if I am involved in creating and sustaining, in other words, fueling all these phobias in life, then I'm going to lack something, something that God wants to give to me and to give to you. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you a little quiz. I'm going to put some phobias up on the, uh, the board, and uh, I want you to raise your hand uh, after I read it and its definition if you think it's true, all right? Claustrophobia. The fear of being confined in confined spaces. How many think that's true? Yeah, okay, well, you're all right. Uh, Acnophobia, fear of spiders. Think that's real? Okay, now don't get fooled here. Aerophobia, the fear of flying. 
Oh, you're getting sparse here on me. Yeah, that, that is a real phobia, and that is what aerophobia is. Now, brontophobia, the fear of thunderstorms. <laughs> and do you have one of those vests that they wear? Uh, thunder vest? Yeah, yeah, it's right. Brontophobia is about thunderstorms. Now, pelidophobia, uh, the fear of bald people. How many think that's a real one? Did you notice only the people with hair raise their hands? Yes. Uh, that, that, is, that is true. Now, how about this one? Geniophobia, uh, the fear of chins. <laughs> You're right. It is a legitimate uh, fear. Um, uh, Ternophobia, uh, the, uh, the fear of being tickled by feathers. How many think that's real? Yeah, that's real. Yep. Uh, anthropophobia. <laughs> Fear of mother-in-laws. Yes, that is actually true. Somebody said, uh, what's a good definition for, for mixed emotions? And the guy replied, watching your mother-in-law drive your new Corvette over a cliff. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I always had a great relationship with my mother-in-law, and I miss her a lot. But yeah, so uh, my wife is a psychotherapist, which means she's not a physical therapist or a speech therapist. She deals with things like anxiety disorders. That's her occupation. And uh, I'm her best patient. She worries about nothing, right? Just, it's okay. And not only is it Okay, here's what she'll do. I'm the pastor. I'm the one with the ministry credentials. She'll say, it's okay. Just trust the Lord. Yeah, easy for you to say, right? And uh, once in a while, she would call me a worry wart. Well, what's a worry wart? I guess it's just something that you have, and it doesn't look so pretty when it's visible. But, you know, I think many of us are more prone to anxiety and by the way, the patient load for anxiety disorders is off the chart. And especially among young people. Young people. Uh, they're fearful about the future. They're fearful about lots of things. So you may have some phobias and you may have some fears. You may have calculated in your mind why all of these things ought to keep you up at night and rob you of the peace of the Lord. And I have a good word for you from the scriptures. Stop it. Stop doing that. And, you know, when God speaks, he normally is using an imperative or a command mode rather than, you know, I would suggest. He's actually saying, if you don't do this, you're not obeying me. But not only are you not obeying me, you're not getting the benefits of what it means to trust me. So today, as we just unpack a couple of passages, um, I, I think you'll find some value for your own life, your own peace of mind. So you might uh, want to join me on this scripture in 1 John. Uh, this is a long passage about love. Sorry, some of those fonts aren't going to show up that well. But you know this verse, perhaps. There is no fear in love. So how much fear is there in love? Zero, none. 
So if there's fear, there's something lacking in that love. But perfect love means completed or mature love, fully functioning love. Um, what does it do? It casts out fear. Um, I mentioned my family a couple times. Hopefully you don't mind that. That's pretty important to all of us. Uh, my dad was a huge guy. I mean, big and strong. And he was a football player, uh, but he was also a skilled tradesman for General Motors, always climbing, working wrenches and stuff in these huge plants. And he was just like muscular. I have to puff up a little bit to, you know, make me look that way. He was naturally that way. So again, I was a kid. We were going golfing uh, with some of my friends, and my dad made a left-hand turn in front of a motorcyclist. He was definitely at fault. He apparently didn't see him. The guy swerved around us to avoid a collision and then flipped right around and followed us, right? And he was going to apparently, you know, give us the what forever. And we pulled into the golf course, which is just down the road, and I could see he was wrapping something, like, you know, I'm going to get you with whatever that was. And he gets out, you know, he's got this, you know, he looks like what we used to call a hell's angel, right? So he's coming after my dad. My dad gets out of the car and stands up. And the guy was like, hey, you pulled in front of me. And my dad said, for which I'm very sorry, I didn't see you. Did you have something else you wanted to say? No, no, <laughs> no. So what I realized is that love protects. Love is not afraid to stand up for the things that are most important to God, his people, his church. And I realized at that moment, I was secure when I was around him. And I knew he loved me. He was gentle with me. As big a guy he was, I never remember him yelling at me. He yelled at my brothers plenty. Me, no. Um, but he was kind of, as he was described at his funeral, a gentle giant. He had sterling character. Uh, he was honest. And he had the means to back up what he said was important. And so when Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, that you love one another, what is he saying? You won't be characterized by fear. That's why Jesus rebuked them. When they're fearful on the sea or when they're doubting, Jesus would say, stop, fear not. This is not an occasion for fear. And they were learning there is a connection between love and fear. When Jesus is there, when God is present in all those environments where he says, fear not, it's always followed by, because I am the Lord. We sang it this morning, powerful is the name of the Lord, right? And so when we come to this final kind of segment in uh, 1 John, John is saying this, this is the real proof. You want to know if you have an understanding of God's love? 
then don't fear. And if you want others to know that you love him and he loves you, and that you love them, that's really the goal of 1 John, love each other. No matter what, love each other. Why? Because there is a common bond in Jesus Christ. That's why in 1 John 2 he says, if we have fellowship, that connection with one another, um, we have fellowship with God. So perfect love casts out fear. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, what does it say? Um, Love never fails. And there were times in my life that I doubted that. Meaning, it sounds too simplistic. Like, that can't solve all problems. But the longer I've lived, the more I've had to deal with the kind of stuff that happens in life, the more I realize love just never fails. We fail love, but love doesn't fail us. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, remember after listing all those attributes of love, you know, it doesn't keep record of wrongs and so on and so forth, all that big list, he finally comes down and says, says, at the end there are three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is fear. No, sorry. The greatest of these is love. Why? Because love never fails. Now, that's really an important hinge pin in helping us today to understand there is a time where we have to kind of recalibrate, recenter ourselves around what it means to trust in the Lord, which means we love him because we know he's a strong man. He's a man of character. There's power in the very name of the Lord. It is really the testimony, God, we believe you're sovereign. You rule and you overrule. God, there's no one who needs to be your counselor. We all make mistakes, plenty of them. God does not. And so he invites us then to love him, love each other, and let fear take its rightful place. There is a fear emotion designed by God. But so many times we fear the wrong things. Fear ought to cause us either to fight or flight sometimes, right? It's a natural human emotion. Don't don't deny that. But when God is fear, small g, God, then the Lord God, and by the way, in the passage that we want to look at in uh, Psalm 37 now for a moment, and you have that in your bulletin, uh, Psalm 37 you'll notice that the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is all caps. And that's not for emphasis. That's the word Yahweh, the sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-present, never lacking strength, never lacking wisdom. That Lord, the Lord who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So whenever you see in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament, Lord, all caps, it's referring to that great name Yahweh. Sometimes it's just capital L, lowercase r-o-r-d. And that has to do with master, in charge. And 
and while it many times refers to the Lord, it's different than this, the big God of the universe. So with that in mind, um, you have it in your bulletins, and I would invite you to uh, take a look at that passage. It says, trust in the Lord, meaning there's an object of trust. It's not just, well, I have trust. Uh, it's, I have trust in someone, in the Lord. And, and by the way, sociologists tell us this, that civilization cannot exist without trust, right? I don't know if you had a cup of coffee this morning, but who made that coffee? What's in it? You made a, an assumption that it was safe to drink, right? Um, you're going down the highway just inches apart from other cars. You have to have trust. And so when you go out to dinner, uh, you get in an airplane, you get, you're trusting. And so the scripture is saying, be quick to trust in God and slower to trust in man. But you have to trust in man as well. Howard Hughes, uh, what a great uh, uh, story to talk about how when you trust nobody, you end up being reclusive and by yourself and a nervous wreck. You go nuts, basically. So you have to trust. But there is an element where we say, if I trust in man, if I trust in human organizations, if I trust in all those things, I'm going to get hurt sometimes, and I'm going to be uh, disappointed. And so, actually, when that happens, you say, well, the scripture's actually right. Uh, I thought I'd be disappointed, and I am right? Uh, People will fail you. The one thing that, based on the authority of the scriptures, and so many of you know this so well, the Lord will not fail you. His yeses are yeses, and his noes are noes, and he knows what he's doing. And when he says, stop that fearing, he's giving you the antidote. Trust in the Lord. Now, I'm a fairly good-sized chunk of change myself. And I went to a middle school, um, which went up through the ninth grade in this uh, group in uh, Texas. And the camp director, the counselors, guess what they were teaching the kids? Trust fall, right? They had this whole lesson about trust fall, right? And so he said, we're going to ask Dr. Marks come up and stand on this beam. I'm going, uh, he, he's not that foolish. And, you know, it's not that far off the ground. So I'm not really all that worried about hurting myself. I'm worried about hurting these little children, right? So they're lined up strong. Each other, they got each other around the wrist. And, they're whole, they, and I'm supposed to just let go and plank backwards. And I'm like... I don't know. This doesn't sound like a wise thing to do. Uh, You know, these kids will walk home like they're gorillas. Their arms will be so stretched out, you know. Uh, And I thought, oh, this is not going to be. And he keeps talking it up, and I'm like, let somebody else do it, you know. But he just kept insisting. And uh, I was like, his name was Ken. I said, Ken, why don't you show him what you mean, and then, No, no, it's fine. We've done this hundreds of times. So I get up there. Close your eyes. So I fall backwards. 
Do you know what those kids did right when I'm falling? They held on. And I'll be doggone if those little shrimpy kids didn't hold me. And I'm thinking, man, they just learned a lesson, never do this again. And I just learned a lesson like, wow, that really did require some trust on my end, right? So I'm trusting all these kids, and I'm trusting this counselor who I'm thinking, if this doesn't go well, and I have to go to jail for beating this guy up, uh, what's going to happen here? So it says, trust in the Lord and do good. In other words, find the right thing to do and just do it. By trusting in the Lord. Let him take care of the collateral. Does that make sense? And then dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Then again, this command mode kicks in. So there's three commands. The next one is take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. And then here's a third one. Uh, The C, commit your way to the Lord. That's different than trusting. Commit is when you're all in, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But it's the idea of your actions demonstrate the trust. So commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him And do not fret. And do not fret. Uh, What a great passage to anchor us in these very troublesome days. Now I want to show you what the Hebrew scholars call a triad. Meaning they believe that the authors, um, uh, David in this case, uh, wrote on purpose. Almost a rhythmic nature to it, because we know many of them were songs. And so when he says, trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, they are inseparables, meaning you can't trust and then not delight, and you can't delight without committing. So they are bound together, but it doesn't stop there. The passage opens up beautifully. I've tried to graphically demonstrate it by just highlighting some key words. So uh, imagine if you were wiring something. And I'm not an electrician, but I kind of figured out a long time ago, uh, after being shocked a couple of times, black goes to black, white goes to white, red goes to red, blue goes to, to blue, and green is called the ground wire, and that's pretty important. Um, So you want to make the right connections is the idea here. So notice this. Trust brings with it this idea of be still. Be still. It's the idea of not being restless. Um, Do you have gas gauges in your car? I, I do too. And it's supposed to register when the gas is filled or depleted, and when mine says empty, you've already walked two miles kind of thing. So I like to never let it go beyond about half. But realize that's a gauge. It's not actually the gas tank. It's an instrument measuring something. And likewise, trust 
has a warning signal connected to it. What is that warning signal? When you're restless, when you're anxious, when you're not being still. You know, after all the number of mass shootings that have happened in public places, there's large swaths of the population that now have social anxieties about public places. Like there are some people that would never go to a theater again. Why? They don't feel safe. They feel like it's shooting fish in a barrel, right? They just feel like they're easy targets. Uh, There are people that won't go to concerts, sporting events, uh, school events, anywhere that there's not security. Uh, At our church, which is, um, uh, you know, considerably larger, we have to have armed police on campus. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, "Ah, something's not right here, right? I didn't like it. And I knew we were paying a lot of money to have the police cars parked out there, and I'm thinking, what are people going to think? You know what they think? It's safer. That's what they think. And for moms of young children or dads of young children, it it apparently helps them to know there's some kind of security. Uh, I'm not recommending that for altars. I'm just saying in that environment with that many people, they feel like we could be a target. And so if you find yourself anxious about safety, security, finances, your health, your future, what's happening in your family... All of those things war against the soul, don't they? And so what does the scripture say to us? Um, Trust in the Lord, and the indication that you're doing that is that you will find yourself being still, at rest before God. I went through a, a time in my life, in my Christian life development, where when I would sit down to be quiet before the Lord, my mind would just race. I would try and pray, and my mind was always racing. It was hard to even concentrate or to get into the scriptures. Like, I got too many things to do. I've I've got people to see and places to go. I've got things that have to be done. What was I doing? I was worrying about the temporal and ignoring the eternal. And over time... I've learned to make that a restful time, just to be quiet before God. You know, when you're a new believer, sometimes you think you always got to be talking when you're praying. Not so. Being still means, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm I'm giving this over, not to just anybody. I'm giving it to you, Lord, L-O-R-D, all in uppercase. Why? Because you're the God of the universe. You put all this stuff into place. And if it's good to know and do the will of God, then I can rest assured you will bring a right end to it. In fact, I've underlined the the phrase that, remember how the wires connect, red to red, yellow to yellow, black to black, so on. Uh, If you trust, the indicator gauge in your life will be that you're able to be still. And so what's the fruit? There it is, underlined. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Uh, While that is particularly a shepherd's uh, word picture, it is the idea of find your contentment in the Lord. Uh, The book of Hebrews 
reminds us, chapter 4, uh, to work hard to enter into the rest, right? Meaning, uh, work hard to be at peace with God. Uh, when Jesus would say to the stormy waves, be still, it was to do what? Calm it down. It's okay. And you have to recalibrate in life. If you're finding yourself always depleted and spiritually dry, I would just encourage you. Say, God, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put the burden of it on you. Because if it doesn't go well, um, it's on you and I get the peace. And I get to enjoy the safe pastures. You know, people uh, who are battling diseases, sometimes the C word, the cancer word, uh, throws them off, right? Like, oh, you know what? God knows all about cancer. God knows all about rebellious children. God knows all about employers that aren't always fair. He knows about what's happening in government. He, he knows about all those things, but beyond knowing, he gets to what? Sovereignly work all things to the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So maybe reverse engineer this. If you find yourself all anxious inside, say to yourself, stop it. You're not trusting. And that's not what Christians do. They don't not trust because that makes a knot in us that stops the blood, the flow of Christ living through us. So maybe that will help you. Maybe that will be one of the real blessings uh, for you today is to know the indicator. There's a second one, though. You remember that one? Delight in the Lord. You see the L-O-R-D again? So these are commands. Stop being anxious by doing what? Trusting in the Lord. Now he says, delight in the Lord. And what's the evidence? Our ability to wait, to wait on the Lord. It's been one of those phenomenal illustrations all my life that a week at work goes slower than a week of vacation. Have you noticed that? When you're delighting in something, it goes by so fast. In, in fact, you know, there's, there's research that show when people are in a very pleasant in situation, environment, they often worry about that ending. I used to do that all the time. Used to maybe a stretch. Uh, I still do sometimes. You get into a little vacation time or rest time, and you hit halfway and you start gearing back up. Yeah. Starts all over again. Uh, that means that I'm not delighting, I'm not drinking deeply of the satisfaction the Lord gives. And so notice the underline. Uh, what happens if you delight in the Lord? He gives you the desires of your heart. Oh, come on, that sounds like a genie in the bottle kind of thing, right? Um, that obviously means when you're aligned with him, you're trusting in him, and you're delighting Lord, of all the things that could possibly be true in life, knowing you is the sweetest of all. Knowing that this life and the life to come is not in vain. Living for you matters. And the benefit of knowing Christ isn't just after we die. 
It's now. It's here. No wonder, you know, the scripture says, Old and New Testament, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's a word delighting. Our next door neighbor, uh, their little girl, five-year-old Lily, had her birthday yesterday. And so she came over in her princess dress, her hair all, and she brought um, a little bag of cupcakes and cookies and, and candies because she was having a party and she wanted to share them. And it was just like, oh, Lily, we just love you so much. You're such an adorable, innocent little girl. And if you would go home now, we want to eat these, please. No. Um, uh, and I said, wow, you look beautiful. What's happening today? And, of course, I knew very well by all the balloons and banners and things. She said, we're having a party. And I said, why? Why are you having a party? She said, it's my birthday. I said, no way. I said, how old are you? Now, the driveway, they brought a chalk artist in, and it's everywhere. Lily's five. I said, how old are you? She said, I am five. I said, wow, I was only four when I was your age. And she looked like, yeah, see, it's good to be five. And I thought to myself, where do we lose that innocence of that just utter joy, the delight of all that was about to happen? And then guests coming in with their packages and bows. Her eyes were so big and just such a happy kid. Of course, by the end of the party, she's crying. You know, she's over-sugared, over-activitied, and everybody's leaving, and it's tears. But During that time, she was like, I'm living the dream. And knowing this part of the message was coming up, I couldn't help think in my own heart, kind of a gentle rebuke to myself. You know, sometimes I lose the joy of the Lord. Has that ever happened to you? Just that absolute delight of, I know the King of Kings. I'm invited to a big party that's happening. And I'm going to be there, and I know who the center uh, of attraction will be, who the greatest guest of all will be. And I'm invited. Are you delighting these days? And God wants to give you the desires of your heart. You know, the, the, um, the concept that God wants you to have his joy in himself. For, uh, John chapter 17, that great priestly prayer. He prays, Father, help them to have my joy in themselves. So that indicator is if you're not waiting, you're impatient, you're jumping the gun, you're manipulating, you're trying to do what you can do. Um, You're probably not waiting well, which is the indicator like that you're probably not delighting well, right? Right? We were on a little vacation not long ago, and I caught myself um, trying to manipulate so that my wife and I would get really good seats on this particular event. You know, and so I'm doing anything I can to figure out how the system works. You know what my wife was doing? Just relax. Trust the Lord. Yeah, but I I don't want to get stuck in the back. I don't want to have to sit over there. And so... I'm manipulating. 
And I remember the feeling like over watching a little play. I got myself all worked up over that. What was I doing? I wasn't waiting. The normal person, little lemmings as they are, lined up waiting their turn. I'm over working the crowd saying, okay, let's see. We go in this door. Yeah. You want to swap tickets? And, you know, um, and just trying to figure it out. And so I wasn't actually enjoying the event. And then I was agitated the whole time the play was going on. Because some guy cut in line. He and his wife, they just kind of came up and got right in the line. Somebody was holding a spot for them, apparently. And I'm like, hey, that's not fair. That happens on exit ramps all the time. Not here, buddy. And so I'm like, I got to go tell him. You can't, you can't cut the line. We've all been waiting. It was like, dude, you're at a play. And you're supposed to be enjoying it. And all you're doing is agitated. And so I forfeited a nice time. My wife would look over at me like, are you still mad? Like, are you still being a baby? Um, you know, that kind of look. You, and I would just smile like, it's okay. And inside I'm like, boy, I hope he spills his drink and his popcorn or something. And I'm like, dude, you're 63 years old. Grow up. So I don't think it'll take you long to figure out how this works in your own life if you're like me, right? And so the last one is what? Commit. Commit. Commit your way. That's the path to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward. So God rewards those that commit to him. And the indicator light is fretting. Fretting. And fretting uh, actually has a root in the word that we get for uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, Rheumatoid arthritis, some of you may battle with that, it ruminates. It just is a pain that keeps kind of rolling all through that joint, right? And it's ruminating over and over and over again. And fretting is, I can't let it go. I'm fretting. That's the indicator. So guess what? If you find yourself fretting, being impatient to the point of trying to manipulate, uh, and if you find yourself being restless, not being still, you're not doing the TDC. You've heard of CDC, Center for Disease Control. This is TDC. And it helps me to remember it. Because like you and me, we have to do some measure of self-talk in that inner part of our brain to remind us of what's really important. And so this may help you. Trust, delight, commit. Trust, delight, commit. TDC. I just wonder, and I hope, actually it was my prayer in preparation of this uh, time, that, that God will let you know that these are things he expects of you And that when you do it, he wants to reward you openly. The last slide, if we could please, just takes us back to that 1 John passage. Um, And the title is, Fear Not the Fear Not. Stop fearing the not. So fear not the fear not.
Why? Because there is no fear in love. And he does love you. I mean, how much more could he have done to prove that? But perfect love drives out fear. So, friends, you got a challenge. And I hope I haven't made it sound like pie in the sky. I've tried to be transparent with you. It's a struggle, but it still is the anchor, the bedrock upon which we build so much of our faith.